podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and, we, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technolwood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off, as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the Best Equality in Social Sports Podcast. That's enough from me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports men, men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former England cricketer. He spent that majority of his career at Leicestershire and is now head coach at the club. Welcome to the podcast, Paul Nixon. Hi, Tate. Good, you okay? Yeah, we're all right. We like to start our podcast with some quick fire questions before we start um, talk about your career. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Uh, good question. I think Gerard Butler. Why is that? Um, he was with us in the Caribbean Premier League a few years ago. He was um, involved with our franchise, the Jamaican Talawas. So I've still got his number. Oh, that's okay. good. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Um, probably somebody like Lewis Hamilton. I love cars. Uh, I love fast cars and I love driving and I love F1. And I think, um, yeah, to go on those tracks in those great cars would be incredible. Nice choice. Uh, last question. If you were the ruler of your own country, what would be the first law you'd put in place? Wow, what a questions these are. First law, um, zero tolerance on bullying at schools. Zero tolerance. Okay. That's, that's definitely needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, want, I want to take you back to the start. What are your memories as a child and did you always want to be a cricketer? Well, I grew up in the northwest of England in the Lake District. I was a farmer's son. So I was up early on the farm. I had a sports mad father who played football and cricket. And um, Carlisle United was my football team and our football team still is in the second division there. And we are we were passionate supporters. I was lucky that I played. My dad pushed me to all sport, football, cricket, rugby, basketball, cross country, athletics, um, golf. So I did everything. And Luckily for me, cricket was always more natural for me. And I didn't start wicketkeeping until I was about 10, 11 years old. And I loved being involved in every ball. And for me, yeah, I was wanting to play football. Um, but it was harder work for me to be to keep getting up the levels. I played sort of county schoolboys. And then I was sort of training with Carl United second team and playing for Penrith first team. But actually... Uh, and actually, we were managed by Bob Stoker, who came and managed us for a few games, which is amazing. A legend a football manager who took Sunderland to the FA Cup final um, a few years earlier than that. So cricket was almost was always natural for me. I had a good progression in cricket. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I loved Ian Botham and Viv Richards and David Gower, watching them as a kid on the sofa, watching the test matches and the one-day games. And um, I visualised being there and wanted to be there. and. Uh, I knew that it would take some hard work, but I was prepared to do that. Okay. You joined Leicestershire. Leicestershire. and made your debut in 1989. What were your memories of joining the club? Um, Well, I was from a minor county, which is 
Cumbria um, as far as cricket is concerned. There was no there was no Durham then in those days. I trialed a little bit for Lancashire, um, and they'd signed Warren Hegg, wicketkeeper, because with cricket, with at the time seventeen counties, there's only really seventeen jobs. So um, I was at Warwickshire on trial. They just signed a guy called Keith Piper, um, and I was really fortunate that through playing England schools and North of England and England schools and then the English schools festival was in Truro. It couldn't be any further away in Cornwall uh, from Cumbria, the opposite end of the country. Um, I went down there and, um, and did well. And a guy called Don Wilson was watching, who was sort of one of the, the top guys at MCC. Um, and um, I was lucky to go to Lords and be based at Lords and, do cricket there, but also go on trial. So I went on trial to Leicestershire and I did well and they signed me up. And luckily, one of the wicketkeepers got injured and it gave me an opportunity to play. So uh, I made my debut. they got injured? Yeah, he got injured and it was lucky for me that he got injured. Um, Not so much for him. And I came to the... Exactly, exactly. A guy called Philip Whittycase, who's now, he went... Um, uh, he did a bit of coaching. He was Leicester head coach as well down the line just before me. Um, and a really good guy, Phil, really good guy. We worked really well together. And, um, you know, he, he had great values. He had a good work ethic as a, as a cricketer. And, um, you know, he was a really genuine guy. And we still got on really well now. So um, I remember 1989 being an exciting year. Um, I actually signed in the 88 and I made my debut in 89. Um, my debut was against Warwickshire who were a brilliant team at that time. Uh, but we had a good team. We had a lot of international players. Um, David Gower was England captain, I think, at the time. He was our our leader. Uh, a guy called Peter Willie, Les Taylor, a guy called John Agnew, who's now on the radio, TMS. Aggers was uh, a fantastic fast bowler. And um, I remember keeping wicket to him, standing so far back. It was crazy. It was like a whole cricket pitch and a bit more back. Um, he was bowling that fast. And... Um, we had a couple of West Indian players as well. So it was an exciting time with some good players. And it just made me aware that, wow, I've got to improve to be at this standard every day. And um, and I loved it because it was a nice, positive environment. Okay. What was that dressing room like in the 90s? Who were your good friends and who were the practical jokers? <laughs> uh, one of my good friends uh, was Alan Mullally, um, who came over from Australia. Um, we sadly had a fast bowler called Richard Edmonds, who was an England under 19 fast bowler who was like six foot three, six foot four, wonderful uh, prospect. Um, but sadly, Richard died in a car crash and um, we had no left armour for a little while. And then Alan Malali came. We saw him bowling in Australia, realised he had an English passport so he could be a home player, not an overseas player. And um, Alan and I got on like a house on fire. Um, since then, he's had a few troubles. Um, and um, he's had a, he's had a tough time in life, but um, he's, he's retired now from his cricket. But he's he was a real practical joke. Always super gluing your shoes to the floor or wrist <laughs> packets in your in your shoes and in, in in you know little daft things, shaving foam in your in your gloves or things like that. They were always happening all the time. Um, people putting smelly bits of fish in your car bonnet and things like that. We're just there was always some shenanigans going on. And, um, you know, the dressing room at that time was quite a selfish dressing room, being honest. A lot of people just looking after their own game and not giving to the team. It's a much more of a team positive attitude and mindset now than it was back then. Um, then it was a little bit more survival and make sure that you're all right when you're playing or if you're bowling. It was a little bit more selfish. But now we're much more together and we're much more about our team identity and our team culture and our values as a team uh, and making sure that, you know, we are, you know, we want to be the hardest working, most caring cricket team at Leicestershire. So, you know, we care for each other a lot more than we did years ago. Um, and The Super Bowl yesterday reminds me of that time we heard, we saw, we, we interviewed this football player and apparently one of his teammates used to cut triangles in the back. I remember of their, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we had guys that um, used to take your trousers up before a big dinner um, at the dry cleaners. They'd go and get the trousers and take the trousers up a few inches uh, so they're in the middle of your shins um, <laughs> rather than on your shoes. Um, we used to have guys that used to cut holes in, in, in your shirt sleeves or your socks. 
the end of your sock. So you put your socks on and your foot just goes straight through the sock um, or in your boxer shorts, in your undies. Um, so, yeah, we, there's always practical jokers, uh, but it was always good fun because we're like we're like the big brother house. You live in the big brother house together every day for six months. At the moment, that's between April and September. At the moment, we are training hard in the gym and doing cricket in the indoor centre, So, which we've got at Leicester. Yeah, it's a bit too cold for outside. Exactly, exactly. We'll do some you field... the risk catch, get, get, get letting your players catch a cold. True. <laughs> that's true. Then, that's... They're cold to minor, but they're nasty. <laughs> they are, they are. We don't want them. Because when one person gets it, everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we generally have on Fridays, fun Fridays, which uh, we go outside onto a... Um, it's called uh, Ellesmere College, which is a, a college for kids with special needs, which is wonderful. And they've got an amazing 4G football pitch. So we go on the football pitch and do uh, some sprints, some running and some fielding. And then if the boys do a great job of that, then they're allowed to play football. So uh, they love their football on a Friday, a fun Friday. But they're cricketers. <laughs> yeah, but we love all the guys who are cricketers and sportsmen, all love other sports. So... You know, we, we have a laugh and we have to do, you know, we have fun with it. And it's also a good conditioning session. So the lads do a lot of running. At least no one's trying to yeah. hit their f- a football with a cricket bat yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're right there. I might You're give, right. I just hope none of your teammates are listening. Your your team is listening to this. They might get ideas. <laughs> <laughs> could be, you could, you could have brought me a new game into my mind now. I think I might try a new game. Okay. You won two country championships in the late 90s. What's your, what are your memories of that? Yeah, you know, winning winning the county championship is a really special achievement because it's like winning the Premier League. You know, it's a it's such a long marathon of games that you play. So to be the best outright over every game in the longest format, which is four day cricket. So every game's got two innings, first innings and a second innings. So it's each game's four games, seventeen four game four day games. Uh, it was a brilliant achievement, and um, you always have ups and downs. And there's, you know, some days because in sport and certainly cricket, you have more down days than up days. You probably have 70 percent bad days compared to good days. So if you take the very best batsman in the world, they everybody wants to score a hundred as a batsman. That's the benchmark to try and score a hundred. Yet the very best average fifty. So that means the very best fail 50% of the time. So, you know, me immortals like us guys who, uh, you know, the guys in the England girls now who are doing really well, you know, we're going to fail a bit more than that. So you have to be really strong mentally to keep going back at it and keep working hard and actually keep your own game in a good place, but also your teammates in a good place. So we help each other a lot. And that takes a lot of pressure off, off, off coaches as well. So it's important that, you know, the team works hard together and in 1996 and 1998, when we won the county championship, um, we we were terrific together. Yeah, we were. And actually, I don't know if you know, but when you win the county championship, you go to Buckingham Palace to collect your trophy and your medals. And we went to Buckingham Palace a couple of times and met the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, I actually got the picture um, near me here in, in the living room. So, um, yeah, we had a great day at the palace where you meet uh, members of the royal family. And, um, and you get your trophy and your medals there, which is great, a great day and a great experience for, for the club and your families as well. Your families come as well. Um, you have the nickname Badger. Why is that your nickname? Badger? Come again? Badger. The Badger, yeah. Well, a couple of reasons, really. One, um, I was a, badgers are nocturnal creatures. They come out at night. I used to enjoy a night out when I was a youngster. I used to enjoy a party. And go and nightclub in and have a bit of a boogie. Um, so my nickname was Badger because I was always nocturnal. Um, but people sometimes say that if you're a badger of your sport. Um, that means that you love your sport and you're, um, you know, you, you, you like to immerse yourself in it. And actually, I was a bit like that as well. So I was a badger with the cricket, and I was a badger in the evenings as well. I used to like going out at night. Um, each week on the podcast, we like to play a game of our guests. We will say a name of a former teammate of yours and we want you to tell us a story or something about them. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Agnew. Aggers. Um, Aggers, <clears throat> a funny story, uh, reminds me of Jonathan Agnew. Um, 
was he was once playing cricket for Leicestershire and the ball went down to him and he literally, he just bowled a long spell and he should have dived and stopped it and didn't and didn't dive and didn't stop it. He went for four and the bowler at the other end was called Gordon Parsons and, Gordon, and his nickname was Bullhead because he used to get, he used to like have a head of Semtex. He was very explosive. Um, his, his mindset was very angry when he, when he wasn't happy. So, um, Aggie let the ball go for four. So Aggie let the ball go for four. And Bullard went, Aggie, you idiot. What are you doing? Why have you done that? You've cost me four runs. That is ridiculous. And Aggie's gone, Bullard, you've played for 15 years. What's four more runs when you've gone for 30,000? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, okay, yeah, fair enough, actually. It doesn't make, doesn't make much difference, does it? So that was a little Aggie story. Uh, Darren Maddy. Darren Maddy. Um, one of the first things that Darren, when we when we when we used to have pre seasons, which is where we are now in our you know the season starts in April and in a couple of months, um, we used to have to run down to the, the we didn't have a gym there in those days, and a, we used to have to run to the Leicester um, University Polytechnic uh, gym down the road in Leicester. So we had to go out to the ground, run down the canal, uh, go up some stairs over a bridge, and then into the canal, which is about a mile and a half, two miles. We have a workout. And then we run back. And James Whitaker, our captain at the time, said to Darren Murray, Darren, Darren, I'm 32 years old. If I ever beat you back to Leicester ever again, after the gym workout and the run back, you won't play for Leicestershire. And Darren Maddy never, ever, ever let James Whitaker beat him back after that. He he run the he was always second. He was always second behind me on the way back. Make sure he's never gonna be. The last, um, and oh, actually, blow up. He, he now, um, he now has got two sons, Darren. Uh, he's got George and Isaac, who are, I think, George is seventeen, just started driving. Who's on the Warwickshire Academy? He's already made his first class debut, and as young uh, and the youngster um, Isaac, who plays, I think, under fifteen, under sixteen, so he's going to be a little star as well. So he's got <laughs> two boys who are both passionate for cricket and going to do well. I'm sorry, I think it's genetic. <laughs> yeah, it must be. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rob Key. Rob Key. Uh, His name um, sounds strange. Don't tell, don't tell him I said that. Oh my God, yeah, I'm so he's sorry. The, he's, he's the sort of new boss of English cricket, the new Supremo. Um, Keezy used to um, he used to love playing touch rugby in the morning. He used to love playing touch rugby as a warm-up. So most cricket teams, the lads like to have a game of football as a bit of a warm-up. So three touches, no contact. Uh, so don't get tackling each other. You have to stay on your feet, no sliding tackles, um, because a lot of guys have, have got injured and, and broken legs oh, playing football, sh- which is crazy. Yeah, um, professional and unprofessional yeah. alike. Very. I'm starting to think these sports are more, d- more dangerous than they are fun. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Keezy always, Rob Key used to always sulk. Whenever his team lost, he was a bad loser. He hates losing. So um, Keezy used to go and sulk all the time. He used to <laughs> always throw his toys out of his car. Every time we had something that was a competition, whether it was touch rugby or football or a game in the nets, he'd always march off with a big, big uh, losing um, sulk on board. Yeah. Lisa didn't go into the corner and let mushrooms grow around him going. We tried to leave mushrooms because his kit was everywhere in the dressing room. Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad. Um, crikey. Well, it was, Broad had such an amazing meteoric rise, such a fast rise to playing cricket. He was really mature ahead of his years. He went to a fantastic school at Oakham. He had some good cricket coaches and he played a game, literally, I think his debut at Oakham School. So he played a few second team games. He was on the academy. He played a few second team games straight into the first team. Did so well in the first team. He got five wickets on his debut. He then went straight into England team and was on fire all the time in England, as you see now. So, but I was so pleased to play cricket for England with him in Barbados. My one of my last games um, for England, my last game for England, um, which would beat um, the West Indies in a brilliant run chase that KP Kevin Peterson got hundred in, and uh, and I got out needing one or two to win, and Stuart Broad came in and hit the winning run. So. We had a great celebration in the dressing room afterwards. So, Broad is a, a great man and a good friend. Thank you for answering those questions. 
you were involved in the start of the 2020 competition in 2003. In 2003, did you think the competition would turn into the worldwide competition it has become? Well, you know, it, it has been an incredible uh, journey, hasn't it? The all of the all of us actually who played uh, like probably your dad's age, we all played um, cricket in the evenings. Uh, I certainly played in Cumbria. We used to play 17 eight ball overs back in those days, um, and we used to play in the evenings when the, when the sun, you know, it was bright sunshine till late, and you know it went dark at 10, 10.30. So we played a lot of small games. And everybody loved it, and it was accessible to everybody in league cricket. And then the professionals decided to do it, and we loved it. Straight away, we loved it. Because Leicestershire at that time, we had a lot of players that were really good at batting and bowling, and maybe not international standard at, at, at either, but we had a really good team of, of thinkers, a good fielding team, guys that could hit it hard and powerful and fight in boundaries. And actually, the 2020 just it fit with our team really well. And the guys, we had a week off before the, T, before the T20 started. And we just tried loads of centre-wicket scenario practice sessions. And we tried loads of things, different people at different places. So by the time the games came around, we knew, our, we knew what, you know, what roles everybody had. And everybody had real good role clarity. Who was going to open the batting? Who was going to go two down? Who was going to bat after the six-over power play? Um, who was going? To, what spinners were going to bowl in the power play? Who was going to bowl at the death of the innings, right the last few overs? So we had a good practice time to be able to plan and prepare for it, and then we did well because we were in five finals uh, and we won three of those five finals. Which is we still we still Leicester is still the um, the leading trophy holders. We still we still got the best record in T Twenty cricket in England. Mm. Is it true that you trained with the Leicester Tiger rugby team? Why did you do that? Yeah, I did. Um, you've done your homework. I'm very impressed with your homework. Um, yeah, basically, um, I, I knew those guys because Leicester Tigers, Leicester football, Leicester cricket are all within literally a mile of each other. So one kilometre of each other. So, um, And actually, I live not a million miles away from the training ground. So... The guy who was the one of the trainers at the time, a guy called Chris Toombs, he loved playing cricket. He loved his cricket as well. So he played at, I think it was Surrey under 16s. So he, he messaged me and said, Nico, anytime you ever want to come down and train, please do. Because I used to love training. I, was, I always enjoyed training hard from my football days uh, and playing rugby as a youngster. Um, I captained Cumbria football, rugby and cricket. So I loved all my sport. And... Um, yeah, and I enjoyed the rugby guys, you know, anything that would make me better. And they have different training methods. They're much stronger than, than footballers and cricketers. Um, so I took a lot of their training methods into my into my cricket. And that helped me have longevity in my cricket because I played for 23 years. So um, I played in the 80s, in the 90s, the 2000s, and right over till 2011. So I played for four decades. So it was that that training mindset and that training knowledge that helped me keep fit and strong and fast uh, all those years. You made your England debut at the age of 36. Do you think you should have made your debut sooner? And what are your memories of your first match against Australia? Yeah, it took me a long time to get there. I was, I thought I was going to get there in, um, in 1995. I'd scored a thousand runs in 1994. I had a good year and England were looking at me. Because uh, Alan Knott, who was the England ex-England wicketkeeper, was the England wicketkeeping coach, and he came to the games and he was hitting balls at me uh, before matches with his cricket bat. He was smacking balls and getting me to dive around and looking at my technique and how good I was um, and what type of person I was and if I was hungry and, and passionate and you know and I was there for England. Um, so I'd done well, and then literally the very first game I had, it, I got picked on the England A team, the second team at the time. It's called the Lions now. And the A team, I had a good tour to India and to um, and to Sri Lanka, which we did well in. And, I th and then they, they came back and I thought, this is my year, um, 1995, this is my year to make it for England. And the very first game we played against Warwickshire, who were the, the champions of the previous summer, which they were amazing. They won three trophies and, and they were runners-up in the fourth Trophy in all four gate, all four formats that we played. So they were amazing. 
And they had a fast bowler called Alan Donald, whose nickname was White Lightning. He used to bowl at 92, 93 miles an hour. Boy. Yeah. That name's that name reminds me of 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 something from a anime I watch. <laughs> You're right there, and he was scary. He was seriously scary as a bowler, um, and he bowled the ball to me, and it bounced, and it hit my thumb, and I was literally I was on 51 not out, and I thought I'll come back tomorrow. We were batting tomorrow at the end of play. I thought I'd get a nice hundred tomorrow, and England will pick me to play in the Test matches, and the ball bounced, and I hit my thumb. And I don't know if you can see it, but I've got, um, where's my camera? Is that my camera that side? I've got like a scar uh, yeah. down here. I thumb. think that means you broke your thumb. And I snapped my thumb. So it's oh, So I had, a, I had a four hour operation and I was out for about 10, 11 weeks. Um, and that meant that Alex Stewart and Jack Russell got a, got a gig for England and they stayed there for many years. They did so well. They stayed there. So, uh, it took me a long time to get there in the end, but, um, I loved it. Going to Australia was amazing. Played a T20 game, first game in Sydney. 45, 46,000 people watching. Um, and um, dad was in the crowd and um, you know, family were there and, and loving it. And, um, and, I, and I got I got, some, I got beat, but I got a few runs. I got 30 off about 20 balls, 21 balls. Mm. Got really good, hit a big six. And I thought, wow, this is international cricket. Um, I love it, and, and, and I couldn't wait to play more. Did you see any koalas? <laughs> you'd see some koalas, actually. Yeah, they're I did. cute little things, aren't they? Gorgeous. They're, they're gorgeous. Do you like koalas? Yeah, they're yeah. adorable. Yeah, I would not recommend ticking one off, though. They are wild animals. <laughs> yeah, no, they can stay on the on the on the, on the trees, and they can mm-hmm. stay chilled there. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. You were selected for the the twenty two thousand and seven World Cup. Yeah. What are your memories of getting the call up and what do you think what did you think of heading to the World Cup? Yeah, well the World Cup was just after the the, the one day series that we'd had, the Tri-Nation series against Australia and New Zealand in Australia. So thankfully we, the boys did really well in that. We, we did well and we won those we won that series and we then went to the World Cup and I got the call just afterwards from David Graveney, who was the chairman of selectors, and he said, Nico, I'm pleased to say You've done so well. We want to reward you with going to the West Indies and being the main wicketkeeper there. So um, we know you'll do well. Good luck. And for me, it was a it was a a nice way of going to do my best because I felt that in Australia, I I tried to get too many runs too soon in matches because there's quite a few games that we were just behind. We needed more runs quickly, and I tried to do that at times, and I got myself out. So. It was really important for me that when I batted in the World Cup, I made sure I got myself in. I made sure I gave myself a bit more time to score runs. Because when you first go out to bat, the ball's like a little marble. It's tiny. And as you spend time in the middle, in the crease, and you watch the ball and you play the shots, the ball just gets bigger and bigger. And eventually when you're in, it's like a beach ball coming towards you. It's like this um, big balloon coming towards you and you can smack it in there. So I made sure that I gave myself time to do well. Um, and I had a really good World Cup. I, I played nice and positively. Got us in some good, um, some good scores, and um, you know, and, and, and I did well. I was pleased with my performance. So um, I can look back and say that I did myself proud in those World Cup, which is. You, and speaking of West Indies, yeah, you were at the World Cup in West Indies and the famous night out. Is it right you got fine and you can talk to us about it? And what did Duncan Fletcher say the following morning? Yeah, it was a. You can't We were all very excited about going to the World Cup, as you could imagine. And um, we went for a couple of quiet drinks. And the couple of. We had. I think we had something like. We were playing something like Canada in a few days' time. So they had a, a slightly less powerful team. And um, we had a few too many drinks. Uh, I had oh. drinks, but not too many. I was okay because we were training hard and we were. Swimming in the sea the next day. And You're a teammate. And the teammates and some of my teammates had too many drinks. One of them was which was Andrew Flintoff. He had far too many drinks. And um, he wasn't in a brilliant place mentally at that time, which he's written about. And um, he ended up going on a pedal and falling off it, um, having too many drinks. And the manager, the manager the next morning, the coach, Duncan Fletcher, made everybody stand up and say how much they had to drink, what time of night they got in that night. And um, 
he'd actually asked the security guys to, 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 to find out as well the night before. So he knew who was telling the truth and who wasn't telling the truth. So he was very strong with the boys who weren't telling the truth. And, um, and Freddie Flintoff um, was still very, very drunk the next morning. He was snoring his head off uh, on the physio bench, um, not in a very good place. So um, anybody that came in after midnight got fined. Um, and I was in like just after midnight. Um, and then a few boys were a bit later. Um, and the funny thing was, was one of the guys called Kevin Shine, who was a fast bowling coach. He'd never seen his brother for many years. And I think his brother came over to see him and they were out with his brother and he didn't get back in till late and he got fined because he was after midnight. And he was, and he, and he, and he used to, Kevin didn't like spending money. He was, uh, he was, he was quite, he's quite stringent and tight with his money. And um, it made us laugh because he got fined and he wasn't really partying. He was only having a drink with his brother. But because he came in so late, um, he got told off. So, yeah. So there you go. That was the, the infamous peddler night. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold, the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media, too, for awesome giveaways. That's Gold. We also read that you once did a seance with some teammates. Are you into the supernatural, and did you experience anything? Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable because we were at a hotel in Durham and um, what happened was uh, we were bored. The next day was talking about being rained off. It was going to be it rained all day. We we're in this big old hotel, an old hotel, and one of the guys said, I wonder if this hotel's haunted. And uh, one of the guys... Who decided to find out? <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I think it was Darren, Darren Maddy, Darren Stevens, who went to Kent afterwards, uh, John Sadler... Uh, myself and Brad Hodge, our overseas professional from Australia, and we decided to to, to do a séance. And after about twenty minutes, we had this um, we had um, things set up because Darren Darren Stevens had done one before. I'd never done one, and the glass moved. We had our fingers on the glass, and the glass was going all around the table onto letters that we put around the table and spelling out words. And we had four hours speaking or being connected with the spirit and it they were telling us things about our life that only we knew and um uh, we were speaking with and connecting with families our families who were in the spirit world it was the most incredible experience i've ever had and we we uh it was all very new to me um and it really was quite a a calming experience, believe it or not. And um, it was exciting, but calming at the same time. And um, they told us things that only we knew. Mm. I, I only knew my grandfather's fav- name of his favourite dog and things like that, that, that nobody else would know. And, um, and my grandfather had passed away and the, and the dog had passed away many years ago, but I knew the names. And, um, you know, it spelt all the names out correctly and it did that with everybody. So we were... We were finding out things about ourselves and our families, which was amazing. And um, yeah, but it's you know it's something that's got to be taken very seriously. And you know, because mm-hmm. there are plenty people shouldn't do it. Because there are plenty Bad of TV stories. shows where the moral of the story is don't mess around with the Ouija boards. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I You're would agree. With that. I would agree with that. Yes, yes. So it's important that you know people do it in a safe environment with adults around and make sure that, you know, just, just, you know, you don't have to do it. Just, you know, it's there, but, you know, treat it carefully. You mentioned in your autobiography that you were offered millions of pounds to fix an England match. Can you tell us about that, please? And what happened? Um, no, England game. It was uh, a county championship match. Uh, so it was a, a T20 match. Um, and, um, yeah, basically, um, you know, this this guy and his brother spoke to me about about fixing a game and and, and some of our players to help fix the game um, and something that I'm really anti and, I, and it's not it's not cool um, and just don't do those things. So sports about winning and losing and and the best team wins and I wasn't about um, you know doing badly 
so people make money because that, that's not sport. And um, yeah, this guy offered a lot of money, a lot of money to 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 to, to many of us, uh, to, because one person can't make such a difference in a match. It has to be a few people. So um, it was uh, quite a scary thing when I was sitting there talking to him in the end because um, he'd been messaging me and got built up a friendship through through talking about properties and things like that, things I'm involved with. And um, eventually he then said, oh, I've got a business uh, transaction for you if you're interested. And, um, you know, obviously I said no. So uh, it was it was quite a scary thing because it, it was a, a one-day game up in Durham, a T20 in Durham. And Durham had literally eight or nine international players playing. And we had myself and Matthew Hoggard, who were two old guys who were probably just on our way down as our uh, as, as professionals, really. We were just starting to get past our best. So, um, you know, Durham were massive favourites to win that game. Um, and, and they knew that. And they wanted to make sure that there wasn't any upsets. But, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't keen, we weren't involved, and we have to report it to the authorities, uh, which we did. So, um, you know, and that's all we can do. So, um, yeah, we did, we did the right thing. You know, we, we kept to our troops and did the right thing. Um, as a wicketkeeper, you need to have a good relationship with the bowler. Did you ever have secret signals between each other so you could pick the bowler's deliverers? Yeah, we did. Um, I did that a lot with um, a guy called Ian Salisbury. Ian Salisbury, I was on the Lord's Ground staff, the MCC and professionals at, at 16, 17. And he was a brilliant leg spinner, played for England and played for Sussex. Um, played at Warwickshire, I think, as well. Um, and um, and Souls, who's still a good friend of mine now, he um, he's a very good googly, and I couldn't pick it very well because we never had a leg spinner at Leicester, so I wasn't used to keeping wicket to it. And and I always knew that if if a batsman went up the wicket and had a great big um, shot for six and missed it, and it went through the gap between bat and pad, I have a split second to see it, and I've got to make sure that you know if it's a googly, I'm going to my left, and if it's a leg spinner, I'm going to my right. And that can make a difference of a, of, a, of a stumping or not a stumping of their best batsman. So I had to make sure that I could read him. So I asked him to give some little signals. So I used to walk down the line of the crease at the other end on his way back to ball his ball if it was going to be a googly. So that was our little signal. You got one wicket and it was William pa- Porterfield. Porterfield, yeah. Yeah. One Ouch. wicket. How... <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> um, well, wicket keepers all ball. Everybody loves to ball in the nets, but I just wasn't. I, I've got good skill. I know where to bounce it and how to swing it and all the rest of it. I'm just slow. It just comes out slow. So um, I've loved bowling. I, I'm a good net bowler off about 14 yards in the net. And um, so, uh, yeah. I, and then we, I played a couple of games where. The opposition only needed like ten to win or fifteen to win. So the opposite, so none of the bowlers want a ball. So it's a time to rest. So they say, "Come on, Nico, come and have a ball." And I was desperate to take a wicket. I was desperate. And Matthew Hoggard was captain. We played at Gloucestershire in Bristol, and um, they needed about fourteen to win. Will Porterfield was batting as a left-hander, and I ran in and I swung it into him. And the ball before. I hit him, LBW, went forward. And the umpire, who was a friend of mine called Rob Bailey, who used to play for England and played for Northamptonshire, gave it not out. And I was like, Rob, that is so out. How can you not give that out? That is so out. He goes, no, I don't think it was fast enough to knock the bales off. (laughs) (laughs) But the next ball, um, he went back to the same ball and he went back and he went right in front of his stumps and he was hitting middle of middle stump. And I was like, Azat! And he gave him out. And I was the happiest man in the world. We literally, there was a team pile on. I did my big celebration. And um, the boys caught me up and I laid down and they just piled on top of me. I had like all 11 of them on top of me because yeah, it taken me 23 years to get to get that wicket. <laughs> um, being a wicket keeper, you need to be a certain type of person and sledging is a part of the game. Didn't you sledge David Smith out once? Yeah, there was um, not necessarily sledge. Good players um, find this mental space that they get in the zone. They talk about the zone. 
where they're really focused and nothing gets in the way of that focus. <clears throat> and they're, pro they're, they're, they're thinking about their processes. So they're thinking about watching the ball, playing straight um, uh, and letting the ball come unto them. So they're, they're, they're talking good self-talk in their own minds, positive affirmations. And um, I once tried to, I, I tried to chip away at the batsman to make him feel uncomfortable and try and make him think he was going to get out and also remind him of how he got out in previous games. So I tried to play on his mind to make him be negative. So um, I gave David Smith a bit of stick one day because he wasn't playing very well. And uh, this guy was like six foot five, six foot six. Like literally his shoulders are like, that wide he's huge he should play rugby and he wasn't very happy and then he got out he was angry because he got out and he walked past our dressing room door and he went bang and he put his he put his fist through our dressing room door at Leicester ah. wow so imagine the guys who were in the dressing room both men 13th men going what God. yeah so um yeah and I was so worried I thought he was going to punch me uh, at the end of play so I quickly got the 12th man to get my kit and my car keys, and as soon as we finished, I drove straight home. Because <laughs> uh, I was You're only young. I'm out of here. <laughs> but he Lots was. Um, I'm out of here situation. Yes, I was gone. I was gone. So he was funny. He was like he was fine the next day when he calmed down. You retired after the 2011-2020 final. You won the final against Somerset. What an amazing way to end your career. What are your memories of that? Yeah, great day. Well, it was a it was a real build up to the final because we played against Kent at home in the quarterfinal, and I'd played for Leicestershire and Kent. They were my two counties, so I was playing against guys I played I played with, um, like Rob Key at, at Kent, and um, we in the end of that game I got a nice thirty um, off about twenty odd balls, and, and we helped win the game. And I got carried off with the crowd, and then went to the final. And we had a super over in the final as well, which was an amazing game against Lancashire. And it was an incredible game. And um, so we had the first ever super over in the finals. So we thought, you know, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Super over. We won that. Then it was the final. And um, it's, quite a late, it's quite a late game. And you go on until quite late. And we were batted first. Um, didn't get many runs. Had a good strike rate. Didn't get many runs. A smash one like a rocket, actually, right at the middle of the bat. And Kieran Pollard, the West Indian T20 specialist, um, who's got hands the size of buckets, and he and he and he and he catches everything. And he and he dropped it, and he dropped it again. Then he dropped it again. I think he caught it the fourth time or third time um, diving. And um, so I walked off um, the last time as a batsman. And then we came out to field, and um, you know I was determined that we won, and I was on fire at that time. I was like. Chirping the batsman and having a bit of giving them a bit of stick and giving Josh Butler a bit of stick and he wasn't very happy. Um, and then Kieran Pollard came out there, key player, and the game was tight. They were looking like winning the game, but we knew the ball was getting older and softer. The wicket was getting more and more tired because they had a semi-final and a final on the wicket. And we knew that our spinners were going to win the game. And anybody that was big and strong that could hit fours and sixes with a soft ball on a turning pitch could win the game. So it was important that we got Kieran Pollard out. And he came in without a helmet on. And we all and the guys in the game know that's silly because you should be A, safe, but also if you don't wear it, you're thinking about not wearing it. And he was just trying, he played on his ego a little bit. And, and, and we went at him as a team saying, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Why are you doing that? We're going to bounce you. We're going to knock your head off. And um, he, he gave himself room he didn't get in line. He gave himself room and edged one. And I, and I, and I took a flying one-handed catch uh, straight in the, in the middle of my hand, in the middle of my glove, went in perfect. And um, we got him out. And we knew that once we got him out, it was our game and we were going to win. So because the, the batsmen who were coming in after him weren't, weren't as good as him. And um, we had some good ballers to come. So winning that game, we parted. We parted for a couple of days. Um, I think I kept the medal on. We kept the medal on for about three days. And um, we celebrated with so many people in Leicester who were at that game. Every time I went out anywhere for dinner, people were saying, thanks for a great game. Let me buy you a drink. You guys had great, a, great, um, a great competition and, and well done to you guys. Well done to Leicestershire.
Mm. Um, when you retired, you moved into coaching. You had spells in the Caribbean and you coached Chris Gale and Motoya Murlithian. What are your memories of your time there? Yeah, the Caribbean Premier League. It was um, a guy called Michael Holding, who was a very good fast bowler from the West Indies, called me and said, Nico, um, the West Indies, they need a coach in the West Indies for Jamaica. And um, would you be interested? And of course I would. To go to the West Indies, beautiful temperature, amazing islands, passionate people. Um, so I got the chance to but go over there. But you got fined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I got fined. Yes, yeah, so I could go back to the bar that I got fined in as well, which we did. Luckily, no one decided to have a case, to give you a case of deja vu and fine it you. Was, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no peddlers, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, I went to went to went to coach there. We had a wonderful team, and um, we ended up winning it. We won it twice. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we won it twice in three years, which is which is brilliant. We had great fun. Um, they call it the biggest party in sport, which it is. There's there's DJs playing music when the game's going on. There's bands in each each part of the crowd uh, in the different st- in the in the different um, stands in the crowd. So. Wonderful achievement, great fun, carnival atmosphere, and I would love to do it again. The only problem is, it's actually on in um, in October. Uh, sorry, in um, August and September, which is when we're still playing county cricket now. So now I'm coaching Leicestershire. I can't, I can't do it. But um, maybe in the future, I would love to do it because it's great fun and they're amazing people. You then became head coach at Leicestershire. How did that job come about and what was your biggest challenge when you first became their coach? Yeah, I'd always loved coaching. I always loved trying to make people better, helping and supporting people uh, and also making myself a better coach um, and a better person. So I was approached by Wazim Khan, who was the then uh, Chief Executive Officer, CEO, and he said, Nicola, would you be interested? Um, The club are... We need a strong character at the helm. We've got a lot of senior players who are just on their way out. Um, we haven't won any. We haven't won enough games over the last few years. We need to get the good times that Leicestershire had back again. So um, the biggest challenge I had at that particular time was um, releasing players who I didn't think were playing the game to try and play for England. They were just playing the game to to. Um, to, to, to pay their mortgage and to get paid and just have it as a day job and not try and get better every day and help each other around them every day. So the standards were low, the professional standards were low, the lifestyles that some of the guys were living were poor. There was too many people who were drinking too much, they were smoking, um, there was guys not taking their fitness seriously. Um, and it was just, a, it's just an easy time. The, the, the culture was poor uh, and the behaviours were poor. So I had to change that. So I had to make a lot of strong decisions I had to build a management team around me of other coaches who had the same goals as me to to win trophies and win championships and to try and create England players. Um, And we have a saying at Leicestershire to have gold fox standards because the Leicestershire badge is a a fox. And when you're a cap player, you get awarded your county cap. You get a gold fox, not a red fox on your helmet and on your jumper. So I wanted to create gold fox standards, which is really important, which I think we're doing now. Um, we're in a good place now and I'm excited about this next summer in in the four day county uh, championship you have had a difficult time over the last few years you have often finished uh, bottom of division two why do you think this is and what do you need to uh, to do to improve the situation um, yeah last year we didn't we didn't win a game which was unfortunate we got into a lot of positions to win games um, and we had a bad session, one little bad session to match. Each game has um, three sessions, a two-hour block, the morning session before lunch, then just after lunch to tea, then after tea till till close of play. So there's 12 sessions in a game, and we would dominate a lot of sessions. Then we had one really bad session where we mm. might lose five wickets or six wickets in a, in, a, in a session, or our bowlers might bowl 15, 20 overs really badly and poorly and get hurt and go for six and over. Um, and I think the reason for that was over the last couple of years, in fact, two or three, in 2022, sorry, 2021, we had a reasonable year uh, in four-day cricket. Um, 
we we struggle financially compared to a lot of the big clubs. Um, a lot of the big clubs, um, they 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 get they come and they come and buy your your best players. So we've lost a few players to big clubs. So just when you in, you you work with a youngster who's from an academy and he comes into the second team, then he comes into the first team, then all of a sudden he does well. The big clubs are like vultures; they come in for your best young players and they can offer them more money. So that was that's frustrating. Um, but the remit was from me, you know, um, was to to pick a younger team and to go on a journey with a younger team. So there's going to be a little bit of pain and there's going to be some games that we're going to lose, but actually we're going to make this young team grow together and hopefully stick together and then start winning. And I think I think white ball cricket, we've been fantastic. We've been very close to winning in white ball cricket into quarterfinals um, and, and, and semifinals. We, we, we can do that. Um, so I'm excited about this year. I think we've got, with the new challenge we've got, Sol Buddinger from Nottinghamshire, who's an amazing new bat, young batsman that plays positive. Um, we've got Matt Salisbury, a fast bowler from Durham, who's a high-class bowler. Um, and overseas professionals, we've just added Rahane now from India, who's an amazing player, Indian test legend, who's, who played a lot of white ball games as well, uh, one-day games. So he's going to do well for us. So he's just been announced yesterday. So that's a great signing. He's going to go well. And we've got another one that I can't tell you about yet, another really exciting international player who's going to be announced um, in, a few, in, a, in a few weeks. That's exciting. So, yeah, it is. Looking forward to it. You have just signed a Ling. Rahane. Rahane. Yeah. Why did you sign him, and what what are you expecting from him? Yeah, good question. We signed him because we we've got a young group of players, uh, an inexperienced group of players uh, who haven't played a lot of cricket, and, and to be consistent. You know, young players can have talent, but they're not quite as consistent as senior players. So, so we want him to be consistent. But we've also heard, because he played at Hampshire, we also heard that he is a brilliant team player and he's really all about helping the youngsters grow and get better as well in their games and, and make them really good, have really good professionalism as well. So, yes, he can have the coaches, but actually when you're out in the middle, under pressure, to produce under pressure in matches, having a world-class senior player with you who's been there, seen it and done it and got the T-shirt, to have him with you in those key moments, um, having brilliant behaviours and, and and having a great mindset, he'll help our guys develop out in the middle as well. And that's when teams win. So I think he's going to do really well. Uh, he's a brilliant guy and I think he's going to help all of our batsmen get better. That's why we signed him. <clears throat> Do you think more needs to be done to improve the standard of county cricket in England? Um, I think it's a good standard, a really good standard. And I think the, the, the measure of the standard is how well England are doing. And I think England are playing such a great, exciting brand of cricket in test matches. I know Sky's viewing figures were up 10% because of the way England were playing. Um, they've picked a lot more white ball players, guys who played... 50 over and T20 cricket to play positively. So I think county cricket's in a really good place. Um, they're looking at a few different things this year to try and help. Um, there's a good chance we're going to be using a kookaburra cricket ball, a different ball with a smaller seam. A which kookaburra? It, it's a not a bird. A bird, yeah, it is a bird. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, that's a very intelligent. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that the kookaburra is going to help um, batsman score runs because it doesn't seem the seam isn't as big as a Duke's cricket ball the Duke's ball is quite a big seam on the ball and it, and it nips around off the seam in England where the Kookaburra swings a bit more rather than seams it's not got as big a seam they play, they play we play white ball cricket with Kookaburras and they play with Kookaburras in Australia and in um, Pakistan as well so that's going to be something different as uh, long as no one decides to set loose actual living the actual living variant. Kookaburra. Yeah, we don't want that. Because that will be a, that will go a long way because it'll keep flying. Whee! <laughs> uh, can you tell us about the process of signing players in cricket? Is it similar to football? And how involved are you in buying and selling players? Yeah, well, when we say buying and selling, we, um, we there's no transfer fees like 
like um, football, which I think there needs to be. And that would really help teams to produce their own. And like us, we produce our own players. Guys come through the academy from 11 years old, 12, all the way up to like 17, 18, playing the second team, then playing the first team if they're good enough. Um, and then it, it really harms us a lot when people like Stuart Broad do really well for us. And then all of a sudden, knots come in and there we offer them a new contract. But because they're a bigger club and a test match ground, their turnover of a business is way bigger than ours. So um, they can afford a lot more uh, wages for some of those players. So that's frustrating. I would like to see, for me, I would like to see transfer fees. Um, when they play for England and they've gone through your academy, you're getting money back from, from ECB. Um, but I'd like to see transfer fees come in. I think it would really help small clubs get more money. What are expectations for Le- Leicestershire, Leicestershire yeah. this season? Yeah, well, you know, we want to we want to a win way more games in the county championship. Uh, I believe we've got the ability to to be very close to to promotion. I think we've got just got to be more consistent. We've got Rehan Ahmed now as well from he's playing for England, the leg spinner, the young leg spinner, who's the youngest player ever to play for England, and he's going to be with us as well, which is wonderful. Uh, there'll be different games he misses because he'll play for England again, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, our, my expectations are to, and I think the players will be the same, that we want to try and get into the to knockout stages of white ball cricket, get into the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of a white ball format and uh, and to really show a real good improvement in the county championship to, to finish, you know, mid-table and up and above. So we can do that. We all know that. It's just been a little bit more consistent for longer periods of time because we've got the ability, we've got the the, the passion, we've got the fitness, uh, we've got the standards. We've just got to be we've got to be consistent for longer periods of time, and that's our challenge. And that's where we are as a group. We're working hard now indoors to do that. So um, yeah, bring it on. We can't wait for season twenty twenty three. Before we finish, we would like to play a game of you that we play with all our guests. The game is called Wrong Answers Only. We will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer. Are you ready? I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, Favourite ground you have played at? Selhurst Park. Oh. Best player you ever played with? Timmy Mallet. Uh, highlight of your career? Swimming. <laughs> Favourite coach you played for? Jose Mourinho. Who's that? <laughs> the best thing about Paul Nixon is... He's always sad. <laughs> <laughs> Every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question no is going to be for. <laughs> this week's question comes from our previous guest, former Birmingham and Shrewsbury footballer, Matt Sadler. Yeah. What is your uh, favourite Christmas film? The Wizard of Oz. I watched it every year as a kid. The Wizard of Oz. Love and at wi- Christmas? Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Nice. All right. Each yeah. to his own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wizard of Oz. Dorothy in the red shoes. Wizard yeah, of Oz. Classic. Quite scary as well. Um, could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest, please? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question could be anything you want. Anything. Right. Um, if the king comes for dinner, what are they going to cook the king? What's their, oh. best, what's their best meal under pressure to What's produce? Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I would just like to say a big thank you again. To everyone who listens to our podcast, we really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Paul. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I loved it. Well done. Um, If you ever want to come and watch us, or the school wants to come down and watch us, get in touch with me. I'd love to sort some tickets out for you all. All right, then. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 So, Alyssa, how did you think about chatting to Paul? It was great. He was a very funny guy. 
Yeah, I'd I still so. can't believe people super glued their teammates' shoes to I have no idea what. Yeah, not only that, but like the story was shocking about that guy who's like, wasn't it five foot? No, six foot five. And he oh, was like, you mean yeah. the guy who punched a hole through the. He was like huge and he got like really annoyed over that like one time because of like what Paul did. So it's just like, <laughs> I can't believe that happened. But yeah. I want to know. Where the heck did they get super glue that strong? Yeah. Um, we hope we hope our listeners enjoyed this episode, mm-hmm. and um, make sure to follow our social medias, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and TikTok, and um, make sure if you're not already to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also DDS Sports Podcast. And uh, if you're not already, uh, listen to us on either Spotify, uh, Apple Music, or any other podcast uh, services. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.